Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. I am Nicky and as always, I'm joined by the man who due to a slight communication mix-up this week ended up watching the video to Martika's Toy Soldiers on repeat. It's Greg. How are you doing today, Greg? Yeah, there, there was no communication mix-up. I just I just wanted to watch Martika. <laughs> yeah, that's a reference for the kids, yeah, isn't it? I, I could have said Eminem's Toy Soldiers. That might have brought it a bit more up to date, but still not quite in there. Yeah. I did think about saying Small Soldiers, but... I thought Toy Soldiers was a bit better. Small Soldiers is the one where the, when the kind of action men figures come to life, isn't it? I think Kirsten Dunst might be yeah. in it, maybe? Uh, you might be right. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen it, but yeah. I think I've seen it. That is the one. Yeah, I think I, I think it's the same guy who did great. It's uh, Joe Dante, I think, who did Gremlins. So it's uh, oh. it's got more than a couple of things in common with Gremlins, you know? With the story, with the story of Gremlins, you know. So I see. <laughs> I'll I'll have to, I'll have to look out for it, and maybe I've missed it a little bit too late. Uh, how's everything going with yourself? All good. All good. All good. I was uh, doing my I did my part for breast cancer awareness yesterday by going to a free brunch. <laughs> I did I did my part by wearing a pink shirt and buying a couple of uh, pink ribbons and other breast cancer. Uh, charity swag for my family. It was uh, it was very nice. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, not a huge amount, to be perfectly honest. Fat, that's a lie. I've been preparing for Christmas already, wow. and I know that is ridiculous that it's in October. However, we are having visitors for Christmas this year, so I'm having to make Christmas dinner, which is something that I've never really done before. So I've already been practicing roast potatoes and roast carrots and parsnips and whatnot and just trying one thing at a time trying different soups as well just trying to you know get something ready so that i've got that in my repertoire for when they arrive the only thing i won't be practicing is the turkey that'll get cooked on the day so if i fuck it up i don't care i won't be eating it anyway so (laughs) it doesn't make a difference to me how many people will you be feeding will it just be the six of you or your in-laws yeah no No, just the six of us um so yeah it's manageable it's manageable and i won't be eating any turkey and uh, I'll manage. We'll get there. I just try to decide on the soup. You know, if I can get a soup, is it a scotch broth or do you go for lentil or do you go for something a bit different? It's it's tricky. A cheeky broccoli and stilton. Yeah, I mean, possibly. You know, could go for something a bit different. It's usually broth, but I'm um, yeah yeah fuck it. And we're hosting it this year. We can put our little twist on it. I did see some Christmas uh, decorations for sale today. I took uh, my daughter um, to a shop in Dubai called Creative Minds. It's, you may know it. It's a yeah. big sort of uh, craft shop. Sell lots of crafty things and uh, they were selling alongside the Halloween decorations um, they were flogging Christmas decorations as well so well, it won't be long um, it always flies by uh, This I find this, end, this part of the year always goes by really quickly um, before we do the news has anybody has anybody been in touch to help us solve our little quandary that we had in the last episodes about the process for submitting submissions to readers waves gentlemen's magazines <laughs> no unfortunately no one has been in mm. touch and i i did mean to research this but i i forgot to be quite honest <laughs> and i wasn't sure what i would google for that so I, if you do know please get in touch. If you don't, then, uh, you can remain anonymous. It's fine. Failing that, I'll have a little Google. I mean, the, the podcast has only been out for a couple of days, so maybe somebody will get in touch and save you a job. Shall we have a look at the news? Let's look at the news. Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on 
in the news. Okay, Greg, so have you seen anything this week that has caught your eye in Scotland? Uh, well, I'm quite pleased to say that after, you know, for a, a few episodes of the podcast, finding sort of Swally-centric stories has been a bit of a challenge, but in the last couple of weeks, i kind of spoiled for choice. It seems that as as we move out of the pandemic, this kind of Scottish public's capacity for doing silly things seems to have increased. Um, so my first story this week comes from the Daily Record on... I can't find the date. Uh, I think it was uh, on Thursday. Uh, Raging Scott's dad mowed down men he believed sold drugs to son after rounding up vigilante posse. Uh, This is Craig... Toppin from Dundee. He smashed his Land Rover Freelander through a fence and into one of the men. Uh, there's a picture of Craig there. Uh, it looks like he's getting off the bus or something. Yeah, so he deliberately crashed into a second man before getting out of the car and punching and kicking the third man and then whacking him with a golf club. Uh, Toppin runs a joinery firm. He admitted carrying out the attack, which left uh, one of the guy's names is Lilian or Lilian Liev. Left him scarred for life. Dundee Sheriff Court heard that Toppin led a masked gang to the home of uh, Iliev's friend as he'd been told he had been the cause of his son's drug-related debts. Uh, the court was told Toppin drove at Iliev and his friends Kenneth McCluskey and Liam Cuthbert after being confronted by them outside the property. The accused then repeatedly struck Iliev's head and body with a golf club, leaving him with three wounds to his scalp, needing ten stitches. Toppin admitted acting with others and with their face masks, attacking the three men in the city's Craigmount Road on November the 15th, 2019. He admitted mounting the pavement and driving at them before striking them with a vehicle, then getting out and attacking Iliev with a golf club. Uh, he also admitted having an offensive weapon, which was the golf club. Sheriff Alexander Carmichael deferred sentence for Topin for reports and he was granted bail. So, <laughs> love the headline, rounded up a posse. I've just got a sort of image of uh, Craig in the pub with his mates talking about his son's uh, predicament getting angrier and angrier and someone said oh we should we should get in your freelander get some masks on and go and sort them out you don't you don't get a, you don't hear a lot about um, vigilante justice these days so, so Dundee's answer to I suppose the Punisher there <laughs> Batman, <laughs> Batman maybe <laughs> do you think the term posse was ever actually mentioned in the pub as they were rounding up their little jute jury the little, of... The little posse. Uh, that's a good... Uh, jute jury, I like yeah, it. it could yeah, be yeah. The, the, the jute jury and executioner. There you go, that's a... Yeah, yeah. the city of discovery. Yeah, do you think they ever mentioned posse, or was it just like, ah, oh, we should go down and kick little fucking cunts in? Yeah. I, but, rather than, let's go and dish out some cold justice for this misdemeanour that these gentlemen have occurred, and let's get a posse to sort this out. Maybe that could have been the name... Like for their posse, they could have rather than calling it a posse, they could have called themselves instead of like the X Men or the Justice League or something. They could have called themselves the Jute Jury and Executioners. About like the they could they could have left little cards like the Aberdeen football casuals used to do. Congratulations, you have just met the Jute Jury and Executioners. Don't take our license plate as we're driving off. Oh. They go for JJE for short, I'm sure, wouldn't they? 
You've just met the JJE. Yeah, it sounds quite cool. It does, actually, yeah. <laughs> well, if you're listening, next time, get yourself some cards printed up and it'll be a lot more professional in terms of yeah. you doling out your vigilante justice. Uh, okay, so it sounds like they went quite a rampage then. Quite a rampage. In terms of, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that he used his own car. It's not, you know, you've got to think if you're, if you're a, if you want to remain a, an anonymous defender of justice, and, you know, a masked Avenger. Like, one, make sure you're wearing a mask, Craig. And two, don't use your own car. So what are you suggesting he does? Borrows a car? Steals a car? Goes to budget and rents a car? What's he supposed to be doing? Maybe he needs to get a JJE mobile uh, sort of custom <laughs> custom made and I'm sure there's I'm sure there'll be a garage in the Kingsway that could make him some sort of armoured I don't know sort of like a tank tumbler tearing up the Kingsway looking for misdemeanours this was someone that came to me the other day actually and it, it just was on my mind it's completely unrelated to this but just what you've mentioned who uh, did the repairs on Batman's Batmobile I'm not talking about Lucius Fox like tumbler wise but we're talking classic Batman was Alfred a skilled mechanic he must have been because he was in the army and stuff yeah. Yeah, Alf, he was a skilled mechanic. He was a skilled medic as well. Um, mm. He was also a, apparently an accomplished actor and master of disguise. Just like a good. It was actually. It was probably. It would probably made a better Batman than Batman. Alfred really. <laughs> <laughs> just, it just wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't hard enough. I don't think he just wasn't as hard as Batman. But yeah, pretty much anything that Batman needed doing, I think uh, Bruce Wayne did some of the repairs himself. I seem to recall yeah. the old comics of him in his Batman costume with like with, with an apron, uh, with a sort with a sort of boiler suit over the top of it. <laughs> his welder out and stuff. What, what are you doing, Master Bruce? Oh, I'm just draining the oil on this cunt. It's fucking. <laughs> It's been pissing it all over the place after the Joker shot it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could see that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Batmobiles pissing oil all over the floor of the Batcave. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> it must have went through some amount of fuel. Do you think he had uh, a fuel reservoir in the Batcave? Because he can't just go to his local ESO and fill up with, well, I guess in, back in the old days it would have been four star, but I, I'm sure he got a catalytic converter fitted and got to unleaded. And now he's probably gone electric, but like Bob Dylan. Yeah, maybe. Well, he was a, he was a billionaire, wasn't he? So he, he probably did have like a, his own fuel pump. Yeah. I mean, I've not, I don't know if I've seen it the whole way through or if I've only seen a bit of it, but the, the much maligned George Clooney starring Batman and Robin, is there not a scene when he pays for something with a bat credit card? And was that was he getting petrol at that point, or was he buying? I, I can't remember. No, they were at a, a party, I think, or something. Poison Ivy was doing thing on him, or something, right. and he, he had to pay for it's like fortune telling or something, and he takes out his his bat card. Right? Was it not like a bat American Express or a bat diners card something or something like that? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Shameless uh, sort of product uh, product placement for whoever the credit card issuer was, but I remember that it sort of, it was like sort of metal with a bat logo on it, as I recall. So should the JJE get their own sponsorship deal from Diners Club or something, or um, switch and get their own little card switch. for the next time they go and switch dole out justice? <laughs> yeah, oh well, yeah, I can just go and hire a car. But then I guess sort of car <laughs> rental places will get wise to that. Like don't. Don't rent any cars to the JGE because they always come back with a dent and sort of human blood on them. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you charge a proper deposit if those guys come round. Yeah, so that's old Craig. I guess we'll find out what his his penance is going to be uh, at some point soon. What's uh, what's your first story this week? Um, Have you ever been approached by a celebrity on 
social media or anything, or if you ever interacted with any celebrities? Well, as you know, um, as we both have, we both interacted with the lovely uh, Simone Labib um, on the Culture Swabby's Instagram page. Uh, we, we, had, we had a bit of interaction with um, Dan from the Fry Guy the other week. So I, I, mean, that's, mm. so I guess so. I, I guess Dan approached us with a very nice message uh, thanking us for featuring him on the post- on last episode of the podcast. That's, that's about as far as it goes. Yes, yes, does. Thank you very much. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that does fuck's sake. Sorry, mate. <laughs> None of them have, you know, in your personal life, you've never been approached by a celebrity asking for money or anything, have you? <laughs> oh, certainly not. Okay, well, from the Daily Record this week, uh, a woman was duped into paying £69,000 to a con man who posed as Scott singer Marty Pello. Now, I feel bad about this story because obviously it's a shame that she's been conned out of this money, but come on. <laughs> so... The devastated mum, who we have agreed to only name as Claire, they missed a trick there, they should have called her Julia or something, yeah. uh, was tricked into handing over regular instalments worth thousands after the fraudster contacted her online and convinced her he was the wet, wet, wet star. Claire thought she was putting money towards a £940,000 house in Windsor after the scammer promised they would move in together and claimed he had received cash from his godmother to secure a deposit. She was first contacted by the man in May 2020 after liking one of Marty Pello's music videos on Instagram. She received flirtatious messages from an individual posing as Marty, including nude photos, before the pair struck up a romance online. I mean, nude photos, you should just check for track marks or something. I need notes, Marty. <laughs> sorry, Marty, I know you're over those struggles now. I'm really sorry about that. That, that was a low blow. Uh, the profile even sent pictures and videos appearing to show the singer at home, but Claire now acknowledges that these were doctored. In June last year, Marty himself warned fans about scammers pretending to be him on social media and urged fans to ignore direct messages from anyone on any forum claiming to be him that is the oldest trick in the book marty you contact the woman and then to try and deceive you're like oh by the way if anyone's uh, posing as me it's not me claire turned over a lump sum of cash to the trickster over the course of a year but the penny only dropped two months ago when the fraudster demanded thirty-five thousand pounds to pay off a contract for a manager when she called him a crook who only cared about money, the messages turned threatening and nasty. At 46-year-old Claire, who lives in England, told the Daily Record, At the time, I really believed I'd be moving in with Marty Pello, and now I feel like I was sucked into this. It was all a big scam. It's a learning curve and an eye-opener. These people draw you in and pull on your heartstrings, send you photos that appear real, and that's what people need to look out for. It just goes to show the lengths that people will go to to get money. Shame on them. I don't know how they sleep at night. Claire, who is a carer, said she was reeled in by the man's compliments, and the con artist even went to great lengths to convince her he was the real Marty Pello. In March this year, he even sent her flowers and a card to her home with a personal message signed from Marty Pello. The person behind the profile also sent her pictures of a house he claimed to have bought in Windsor, where the singer actually lives, uh, to lure her into making multiple transfers, totaling around £30,000 to these bank accounts. Uh, She had the money available because she got the money from a house sale through a recent divorce. She said that the fraudster convinced her to send £15,000 for a car because he could not be seen driving around in a taxi. Why would he be driving around in a taxi? He'd be a passenger, surely. That's a decadent way to live, isn't it? Like, yeah. rather than 
driving a car, if you saw Marty Pello driving a mini metro or you saw him in the back of a black cab, what you're going to be thinking is the most ridiculous. He also demanded another £1,000 so he could buy her an engagement ring. That, that's just terrible. She's making her pay for her own engagement ring. And only £1,000 as well, Marty. And she also made numerous payments of gifts on iTunes and Amazon. Things turned a bit nasty in these messages and once she decided that she'd had enough and she didn't want to pay him anymore, the fraudster started replying saying basically he was threatening himself, threatening her son and threatening her. And Claire did reply, uh, do you realise how bad this is and what you're saying to me? You won't fucking touch my son. And Marty then replied, well, then let me be with you. Uh, But this suddenly opened her eyes and she realised she wasn't actually speaking to Marty Pello. So she lost nearly £69,000 in total, which was a lot of money because uh, it was split over numerous amounts. And she has contacted the police who are looking into this. Just like to point out, it definitely wasn't Marty Pello. And Marty did put up another post saying, I don't send out any direct messages on social media. Anything I want to share with fans will always be done through a post on my official channels or on my website. Nice little plug there, Marty. Uh, and he also urged his fans to report people that are doing this to report them to the police so they can be held responsible. He didn't offer to weigh Claire in the 69 grand that she's out though. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't. No, well, it's not his fault, is it? That she was duped by Marty Pello. Until the froster is caught. Who knows if it- you know, I mean, he's, he left wet, wet, wet a couple of years ago, uh, Marty Pello, because I think I remember reading that they got one of Liberty X's old members in to replace him as a singer. Oh, they did, that's right. You know, I mean, I'd, if he's just living off his royalties, maybe he's not making enough money. Maybe he's he is going around looking for women that would have been the right age to have been one of his fans when he was at the height of his celebrity and conning them out of money. I would just like to say at this point that we in no way believe that it was actually Marty Pello that was sending those messages. And Marty, if you're listening, we, we don't believe that at all. We're, we're saying you were in no way implicated in this nonsense. <laughs> but it does go to show that people will be sucked in by believing that someone famous has got in touch with them. But surely then, if you start asking for yeah. money, that's when you're going to be thinking, wait a minute, you're Marty Pello, should you not be slipping me a fiver? <laughs> rather than asking for a grand or 15 grand for a car. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what you would get for 15 grand these days anyway if you wanted something that was becoming of your celebrity status. Do you know what I mean? If you're pretending to be Marty Pello. Can't just be seen nipping around in a Ford Focus or something like that. You want something a bit... I never know. But that's what people would least expect you to be driving in, so you wouldn't get recognised and bothered by the general public when you're putting your messages in your car at Tesco or something. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. You never know. Marty Pello does strike me as the type that he would probably drive around with a big car with wet, wet, wet on the side or with (laughs) martypelloofficial.co.uk right along the, the side of his car to direct people there. I'm really sorry to hear about your, your struggles, Claire, and that you were duped by a con man. So a little message to all our listeners from the Swally, if you are approached by any celebrities online, just be very wary. Yeah, a little public service uh, announcement there for you. Okay. Well, my, my next story is about a uh, new kids on the block uh, pyramid scheme that's been... <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, of course hanging tough yeah, hanging tough of course I'm joking uh, no my next story a little bit like today's content is that there is a link to Scotland but it, it actually happened the incident I'm about to describe actually happened in England um, so this comes from the Scottish Sun on the 7th of October uh, a boozy Scot and his pal have threatened to sue sue is spelled in capital letters a water park after they broke their legs on a flume when they snuck in at 2am <laughs> <laughs> Barry Douglas, uh, 44, and Claire Vickers, 46, were trapped in the flume for two hours. And they've, suggest- oh, they've suggested that they are now taking legal action. The duo were only found by police after reports of kids messing about. They have since blamed the Lido's lack of security when closed for their horror accident. Claire complained that she and her mate now face a two-year recovery for their drunken antics and believe they should be compensated. Both suffered broken shins and shattered feet. Claire had been in a pub for four hours before meeting Barry at his house for more drinks. At 2am, she suggested they try the nearby Lido for a quick dip. They crawled on under a fence and agreed to try the slide. Claire sat down and Barry put his legs around her so they could slide together. <laughs> the water was off, so Claire splashed some water down the chute from the foot bath. as <laughs> minging. But as they sped down, they saw a steel barrier was blocking the exit. Claire's snapped right shin pierced her skin and every bone in her left foot was broken. The former bartender said, I couldn't think straight as the pain was excruciating. It was like a scene out of a horror film. I looked over at Barry. He was in the fetal position and silent. That's when I thought we're both going to die. She tried holding her leg together while banging on the tube and screaming for help. But she said, every time I banged, I let go of my foot and my shin, and more blood came out. <laughs> she added, I nearly went head first. <laughs> uh, sorry, she added, I, I nearly went head first. I would have been killed. Uh, forklift driver Barry, originally from Dundee, broke his left leg and both ankles. He said the pain was unbearable. Reflecting on how it affected his life, Barry said he'd been left unable to work and he's running out of money. He's had to move house and he now suffers from depression. Claire explained on this morning that she was lucky to to wake up with her foot after several operations. She said, it has changed my life completely. I was an active gran. I mean, this, this girl was only three years older than me. I was an active grandmother. I can't take her out for walks. She's only three, so she keeps going, Nanny, can you get up and walk yet? That night, I didn't plan on going out to do this. It just happened. And it's happened before to other people. So I think something should be done about it. Barry added, there should have been security there. The fence should be secured. Legal action has been taken. But Philip Schofield, we like Phil, he confronted them both arguing, it's tricky as you shouldn't have been in there in the first place. You haven't been prosecuted, which you're lucky about. But Claire hit back. Everybody makes a mistake, Philip. Everybody has got drunk at some point in their life and made a silly choice. And that's all this was. But viewers at home appeared to side with Phil, with one tweeting, Is this a joke? They really trying to make out it is not their fault, because it's too easy to break in, and and there were steel barriers. Another added, minimal sympathy for this pair on hashtag this morning. You broke into a closed water park and let yourself into an attraction. You did that. Now you're saying that the park should have locked the slides? They locked the gates and you broke in. Ridiculous. No police action was taken, but Claire of Aldershot, 
Hampshire is sharing her story as a warning. She added, I'm still having nightmares one month on. They were taken to Frimley Park Hospital in Camberley, Surrey, but had to be transferred to St George's Hospital in Tooting in South London. Mum of five, Claire, remained there for two and a half weeks and will not be able to walk for another six. She she admitted, we're idiots. Let that be a lesson. Where's the rest of the... Well, there's loads of pictures of them. Oh, my goodness. And pictures of the fence that they, with a the sign that says you can't break in. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, lots of pictures. A picture of Barry there. He's got a couple of stookies on. Uh, looking a bit sorry for himself. Picture of Claire. She's only got one stookie on. She looks... Fuck it. She looks full raging. <laughs> um, a picture of the outdoor water park. So, yeah. I mean, I don't imagine like, uh, they're going to get any sympathy from it, from our listeners either, to be quite honest with you. Uh, this is absolutely ridiculous. So, they're trying to sue the water park because the security wasn't up to enough. They got pissed. They decided to break in, go on a slide. You said it was disgusting that she got the water from the well, foot bath. Well, I thought I thought you were about to say something a lot worse <laughs> when you said the water wasn't on and they needed some sort of lubrication to get down. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought you were about to say... She pissed, that, pissed in the water slide. Basically. Now, you have to go up to get to the water slide. I imagine it'd be dark. Yep. Surely you would look at the bottom of the water slide before you went down it and see this big fucking metal barrier. Surely. You're not going to just go down. Everybody has got drunk and made a bad choice before. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, when I, if I'm honest, I mean, you know, when we were younger, it'll, it'll come it'll come as no surprise to anybody that we enjoyed a night out and, you know, we occasionally get up to hmm. some ill-advised antics Uh a couple of which have been discussed on this very podcast before. Aberdeen, it will also come as no surprise to people who know of its location, doesn't have any water parks to break into. I feel like, you know, it might have been a consideration if enough uh, if enough booze had been taken. But I would hope, to your point, that we would uh, make sure that we weren't going to smash our legs <laughs> to pieces on a metal barrier before embarking. I can probably tell this story because we didn't actually do it. We weren't successful. So, ah, fuck it, I'll tell the story. So I had a night out with a few friends uh, that were also Aberdeen fans. This would have been back in 2004, 2005 maybe. And we'd met up and had a like big kind of seven-a-side football match, then went to the pub, got very drunk. And I think two, there was four of us left in the very end. And I think two of the guys were from like Edinburgh kind of way and two of us were from Aberdeen. And it was like two o'clock in the morning and we thought it would be a fucking great idea. Let's go and buy a football and break into Pataudry and have a (laughs) kickabout on the pitch. (laughs) So we've got a taxi. We've got a taxi from Union Street to Asda in Garth D because it was the only place that we knew that was open at that time. And we went in and we bought a football. And then we got back in the taxi and he took us to Pataudry. I can't remember how much this taxi was in the end. It must have been a fucking fortune because we told the taxi driver what we were planning to do. So he took us around the stadium showing us the best places to break into. (laughs) (laughs) So we were like on each other's shoulders trying to get over the south stand with this football and we we just couldn't do it. Like we were too pished and none of us, despite the fact we were absolutely hammered, we were all still sensible enough to be like, if I jump down this wall, I'm going to break my leg. So I'm not going to try it because funnily enough you do kind of have that kind of moment where you're thinking this isn't going to end well so let's not do this so we tried a few other times that the taxi driver was like oh you'll maybe get round in the the space between the the south stand and the dick tunnels so we got back in the taxi he drove us around that side <laughs> we couldn't get in so we asked him for a pen so we all signed the football 
taxi driver as well. <laughs> and then I ran up and booted it over the stand <laughs> so that it would land on the pitch. <laughs> and we thought this was almost as good yeah. as breaking in and playing football. We were like, oh, they're going to come out for training tomorrow and they're going to find this football. And they're like, oh, it's been signed by... <laughs> suntan and dl this will be great this is so good straight in the trophy room with this ball and then we got the uh a taxi home so yeah i, I can't remember how much that taxi cost it must have been a fortune because we had it for about two hours but the guy was like well into yeah. this as well you know he's like oh no no go down this side go down this side you'll get in there <laughs> he thought it was a great idea <laughs> however had we succeeded had we played a little 2v2, maybe the taxi driver would have come as well. You could have played rush goalie. We could have had a little World cup game. Yeah. Had we succeeded and I had slipped over a sprinkler head and <laughs> broken my ankle or something, the last thought in my mind would be, I need to sue Pataudry. Yeah. My first thought would be, oh, shite, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Am I going to get banned from Pataudry for this? I'm not going to be thinking, oh, I, I know, I'll sue them and say, that fence, it took three of us <laughs> to get over that. That's a, that's a hazard, that is. You shouldn't be allowed that. I'm going to sue. This is ridiculous. I've got no sympathy for these people at all. They got pished. They went in a water slide. They're suffering the consequences now. They won't do it again. The worst part about it is they mention that they'd heard of other people doing it. <laughs> and getting hurt or whatever. And they still decided to do it. Ah, but do you maybe think they've only heard about these other people since it's happened because then they'd probably been in the local paper people will have come forward and says oh that happened to me oh i did that once i oh i i did that one night and i got a, a nasty little chinese burn on my, you know, my, my arm when i was going down it wouldn't be a chinese burn because yeah. you wouldn't be doing it it would be a like friction like a like a like a friction burn i guess yeah, yeah. Friction burn. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. I got a nasty friction burn. That that would be it. Like maybe because people have injured themselves before with minor things like friction burns, the water park has thought right. Rather than fix that fence, let's use the money to put a big fucking metal barrier at the bottom of the slide, <laughs> so that if anyone is stupid enough to come down it again, they're going to again be up for a nasty surprise. Let's hope they go head first. I've, I'm trying to think if I've ever broken. I think I've ever broken in in the traditional sense of the words. But when I, I used to live in this little village called Maud, just outside Aberdeen, and where the old Banff and Buchan railway line used to be, it's now like a like a sort of walk, like a sort of nature walk, if you like. And you can walk, mm. you, can, you can walk all the way to Aberdeen, I think, on it. But just outside the village, just off of the old railway line was a sewage treatment centre. Don't ask me who found out, but they never locked the door to the sort of office. Well, not even really the office, the sort of control room, if you like. So we used to go up there and let ourselves in and use the phone, like phone our mates, stuff. Hey, I'm, ph I'm phoning from the sewage treatment centre. <laughs> stuff like that. It was just, there wasn't an awful lot to do in the village back in those days. You know, we were too young to get in at the pub. So we had to find our own entertainment. I'm sorry. So in terms of the control room, mm. could you have controlled the sewage operation? I suppose we probably could have done. I mean, we never ever did. So we just sort of look and see if like... If the workies had left any like jazz mags around or you know or booze, I don't know why we I don't know why we thought that they would be taking booze to work. But mainly it was just to use the phone and like phone people and the like our mates that lived in the other villages that we went to school with and things and just have a laugh really <laughs> get getting out the rain if it was a bit damp. I mean that would be one hell of a water slide <laughs> in the sewage plant as well. You wouldn't want to go down that though. You'd probably get worse than a broken leg if you went down <laughs> yeah, that. Sure you would. Yeah. Toxoplasmosis. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I don't, I don't imagine that their that their legal bid is going to be successful. I feel like a, a judge will or a good brief will tell them that it's a waste of time, especially after Philip Schofield has ruled on this morning that uh, they're a pair of idiots. Uh, we're not at the uh, mercy of judges or Philip Schofield. It's up for the jute, jury, and oh, executioners yes. to decide what's going to happen about this. Well, the guys from Dundee, so maybe maybe he knows those guys. You know, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he missed out in being in the posse because he had a fucked up leg. Potentially. Anyway, so what's your what's your next story this week? Uh yeah, my second story this week. Are you familiar at all with the comedian and author Adam Kay? Uh, I am. I enjoyed his his book because he used to be a doctor, didn't he, Adam Kay? Before yes, he yeah, he did. So my, my my sister, who's a doctor, bought me his book. This is going to hurt, hmm. which is a you yep. read it, yeah. His diet. I have, yeah, yeah. Very good. It's brilliant. Yeah, very, very. It's it's very funny and also quite heartbreaking yeah. in some parts as well because he was a like a midwife kind of that was yeah where he, he, worked he worked for in- a lot of things so yeah so there's a lot of uh a few yeah bad parts but um yeah it's very funny overall so um he's doing a, a little tour at the moment and i think he's he's doing a show based on the book right because since obviously he he left being a doctor, mm-hmm. he wrote the book, and now he's he's become a comedian. So this is from the Scottish Sun this week. Uh, so the comedian Adam Kay, a uh, best-selling author and hospital doctor, got more than he bargained for when he walked off stage after his "This Is Going to Hurt" show in Glasgow last night. Uh, the forty-one-year-old found a drunk woman taking a shit in his <laughs> backstage quarters in the Theatre Royal, <laughs> and the. Ch- Cheeky punter had also drank all of his wine and rummaged through his belongings before claiming that she thought the dressing room was the public toilet. <laughs> Detailing the incident for fans on Twitter, Adam said, had a lovely gig at the Glasgow Theatre Royal last night and then back to my dressing room where I find a woman taking a shit. In fairness to her, it was in the bathroom part of the dressing room rather than on the floor or on the table. Yeah. She was pretty hammered which might have had something to do with all the wine she'd demolished from my extremely showbiz rider. She'd also tried to get through the beer, but couldn't find the bottle opener. (laughs) How long had this woman been in there? That's what I'm wondering. So she'd obviously missed the show if she's managed to drink all the wine and then she's tried to get into the beer. She'd also been through all my stuff, most of which uh, was quite happily boring, although thankfully she hadn't found my phone and my wallet. I asked her what she was doing and she told me, I thought it was the toilet, which I guess technically it was. Uh, He added, I imagine she got lost on her way to the toilet at some point during the show, and maybe some of those doors should be locked in future, guys, and found herself in my dressing room, then decided that the wine and nibbles were a more appealing prospect than the show itself, (laughs) so just decided to smash through that instead. Oh, uh, one of my wine glasses was found in the auditorium, so she'd in fact helped herself to this wine, gone back to the show, (laughs) and then thought, fuck this and went back to the dressing room instead. (laughs) Fans have been left in stitches by this woman's antics, joking, people make Glasgow. (laughs) Uh, Another quipped, uh, holy shit, literally. And a third wrote, oh dear, but just think of the material you're gathering for future books and shows. 
The Cheek of It. There's your title. So Adam's show has been seen by over 200,000 people across his sellout UK tours, Edinburgh Fringes and West End runs. And his book was one of the best sellers for over a year and is soon to become a major BBC drama. I didn't know that. Oh, really? That's a nice little tidbit at the end. Yeah. I thought it'd be more, I don't know, a drama. But I thought Dramedy. more comedy would maybe be, yeah, suited for it. So there you go. People make Glasgow. Uh, yeah, she's just went backstage and decided to have a shit and, uh, and drink all his wine. That's, that's that's a bit cheeky. <laughs> I thought to herself that she's the only person that's found this free bar. <laughs> Surely you would realise you're not just thinking it's the public toilet and you've gone back and it's like a lounge. Surely you're going to know it's the dressing room. She'd been through all this stuff, but she hadn't found his phone and wallet. So maybe, well, thankfully. But yeah, she, she's gone through his stuff. She's drank all his wine. I, I love that little bit as well. She couldn't drink the beer because she couldn't find the bottle opener. <laughs> Surely you just jam it on the desk and <laughs> so break it. Wedge it open your teeth. Well, I mean, you know, I think the good thing about Adam Kay is he's got, despite having a couple of episodes of Mrs. Brown Boys under his writing on his writer's CV, he does have a good sense of humour. So uh, Mm. I'm not sure that uh, other performers would have taken it quite as well. Well, he's got a good story to tell at least, so. Okay, well look, I've just got a couple of very quick, two very quick ones. Have you seen the Edinburgh's uh, advert for their tram service? You know know how Edinburgh has a tram network now? You probably have Mm -hmm. seen it. They have got a poster that says I'm not making this up. Look out for the tram pedo. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. What? We will put this on our Instagram page. Look out for the tram. The tram pedo. I think that's so. Is this a Jimmy Savile going up and down the tram or something? It's for. It's a play. I think that. I think it's just, they're trying to play on the word torpedo, underlining the ah. the tram speed. How this has got past. No, ahead of that's marketing. unbelievable. Yeah. Apparently, one Edinburgh tram equals the weight of nine African elephants. It also says in the poster, if you get that far. That would have had to have gone through so many people for that to be produced and displayed in Edinburgh city centre. Like, not just even the, the people that came up with that, the creatives, but obviously the marketing directors that have signed off on that. Yeah. But also, they've then had to send that to the outdoor company, I don't know who it is in that position, maybe like JC Deco, they're surely going to flag that up and say, are you sure about this? This really? Trampedo? That's, oh my God, I can't believe that. That's, that is insane that they would do that. That's just going to put, well, unless it is a big ruse to put kids off traveling on the tram, maybe there have been complaints. I don't know. About children being unruly. My friend sent it to me. My English friend sent it to me saying, does it sound different in a Scottish accent? And I said, no. It does not sound different. It sounds exactly the same. Uh, And my other story, very quickly, is... You know, you were you were talking earlier about getting ready for Christmas. Distressing news, potentially. Uh, the makers of Quality Street are warning of potential chocolate shortages in a run-up to Christmas. Uh, Nestle, they've said they're working hard to avoid stock shortages, but it's a, it's a real possibility with a number of challenges with the uh, ongoing HGB driver and stuff. So I, I don't know if you're a fan of Quality Street at Christmas. It's like the only time of the year yeah. that you're ever likely to eat a Quality Street or a Cadbury's Roses. But yeah, you might want to get them, get them bought now. <laughs> yeah, I think it it's only Christmas time that you have those and the same as the 
like uh, celebrations and yeah. miniature heroes, that type of thing. It's the only time. I remember I had some last year when I was at my sister's and we did. We opened a tin and actually put them all in order just to see how many you get. Right. And it's incredible, like, you know, the way. And then we all put them in order of the preference. And it was quite interesting. There was like six of us and everyone had a different order. Mm-hmm in terms of preference of, of what they liked. So, yeah, it's always good when you have that. Yeah. Christmas sounds fucking brilliant when at your house. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't on Christmas Day. This was like Boxing oh, okay. Day or something. And it was just... A, uh, anyway, never mind. Fuck you, <laughs> Trampedo. Okay. <laughs> what time are we... Right. What time are we classifying the chocolates? <laughs> we'll probably be doing that quite a lot earlier this year if I'm cooking Christmas dinner. I burn the turkey. Right, we're having celebrations for Christmas dinner. <laughs> quality street yeah. i'm having the big purple one <laughs> right on that note uh let's have a little word from our sponsors this is our lager our tenants lager the one and only as we all know it's always ready to taste a steady so we drink it wherever we go It was your choice to pick uh, our content this week, Nikki. so why don't you introduce... Thanks very much, Greg. Well, yes, because we are approaching Halloween thick and fast, so I thought we've only really done one horror film on this wally so far, The, the Wicker Man, available wherever you get your podcasts, so I thought let's do another horror film just in time for the witching season. So this week on this wally, we are going to discuss the 2002 film directed by Neil Marshall, Dog Soldiers. Starring Kevin McKidd, Sean Pertwee and Liam Cunningham, it tells the story of a routine military exercise which turns into a nightmare in the Scottish wilderness when they find a wounded Special Forces captain and run into zoologist Megan, it turns out that werewolves are active in the area. The team must prepare for action and try to make it to the morning, as there's going to be a full moon tonight. Uh, Although it's set in Scotland, it was filmed mostly in Luxembourg uh, for a budget of 2.3 million, and the film has gathered quite a cult status over the years. So Greg, you mentioned last week on the Swally that you hadn't seen this since it first came out so is that your first memories of it did you see this when it first came out uh, I saw it I didn't see it at the cinema I, to be honest I can't really remember where I watched it I guess I must maybe I watched maybe I bought I rented the DVD or something like that but I'd only ever seen it that one time so I couldn't really remember much in the way of detail about it. Obviously, I remembered... I mean, I'd, I'd even forgotten that uh, Sean Pertwee was in it until you messaged me. I knew Kevin McKidd was in it. Mm. And uh, so, really, it was like... I, I watched it this morning, and it was really like watching it for the first time because um, uh-huh. it'd been so long. I mean, it's it, the, the, the movie's 19 years old. I do like a good werewolf movie, um, as we've discussed before, my, one of my favourite films being An American Werewolf in London. So, yeah, it was, it was really good to... To, to be, I, I really, I, I enjoyed it more than I remember enjoying it the first time I seen it. Similar to you, I this came out when I was working at Blockbuster, and I think I just came out just after I just started working there, and I rented it and watched it probably the day it came out, and remember enjoying it. 
but for some reason I haven't watched it since. And I was trying to think why that was. And I can only think it's because it came out whilst I was working at Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Purely for the fact of, I used to work at the Monday morning shift. I was still at uni, but I didn't have any classes on a Monday. So I, that, and Monday was the best day because that was when new releases came out. So my day would basically consist of just rearranging all the shelves, putting all the new releases on. And of course, you don't just put something in number one. You've got to move everything down. Things drop out the chart. You've got to put them on the lower shelves. You've got to arrange everything alphabetically. Ah, it was like a fucking dream for me being... I, I love sorting stuff out like that and alphabetizing stuff. However, you do get quite sick of seeing the same video sleeves over and over again. And of course, on the internal thing, you had a DVD every month that you would play. But like a 30 minute long DVD doing the the kind of trailers and what was out this month. If that's 30 minutes long, you're doing an eight hour shift. You hear that 16 times. You multiply that by a month, you're kind of fed up of the things you're hearing. So I was looking at a lot of the films that came out during the time I worked at Blockbuster, and it's a lot of films I've only ever seen once, because I think I was so fed up of seeing the video sleeve. And remember, once it drops drops out the charts, then it goes into the ex-rental bin, and you still see the video sleeve all the time. So things like Dog Soldiers, or like Men in Black 2, or um, I think like Equilibrium, and even Gangs in New York, that came out when I was working there. And I've still only ever seen that maybe once or twice because I was so fed up of hearing that fucking video about it and seeing the video sleeve in the store. So that's why I probably haven't revisited Dog Soldiers until now. Very similar to you, it was like watching it for the first time when I watched mm. it during the week. And I watched it again yesterday. I've watched it twice this week and quite annoyed that I haven't watched this for so long because it's a fucking great film yeah. it's so good I mean spoiler alert so I take it you enjoyed it as well I did enjoy it I mean it's you know I mean I, I guess in a lot of ways it's quite sort of folk, it's quite form sort of formulaic what's the word I'm looking for formulaic uh, you know you, you sort of when you realise what's going on you sort of know that who's going to be left at oh. the end and but like all these so it's like you know like sort of, you and I are, are, are big fans of Friday the 13th pretty much mm. every movie is follows exactly the same formula. You know what I mean? Um, but we still will watch them. Like, if they brought out a new Friday the 13th, like, part 11 tomorrow, like, you know, I would... 12? 9? <laughs> um, it, it depends. If you're taking Jason X as, as the last kind of film, it depends if you're taking Freddy versus Jason... Uh, as a Friday the 13th film or not. It, technically, the next Jason film would be Jason 11 yeah. or Friday the 13th part 11. Yeah. But yeah, then you got... In Jason X, they basically took the same formula that they'd used nine times already and put it in space. So yeah. I was in for that. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm well up for that. Uh, and and you know the same is the the same is sort of true of this story. We've seen this formula in other films, but this because you know it's the two leads in Sean Pertwee and Kevin McKidd. You know the the sort of setting for the formula. You know the 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 banter between the soldiers, the special ops, Liam Cunningham uh, character. You know they're all things we've seen before, but they, these guys it's just incredibly entertaining. You know they, they they're sort of not taking it. I, I don't I don't want to say they're not taking it seriously because they do they, they do take it seriously but there's a sort of um there's a sort of like wink to the audience a little bit about it all you know uh which is, you know it's just really really enjoyable no i would say in my notes actually i'd said this film it, it's fun it's it's gripping as in you are into the story but it doesn't take itself too seriously 
And it definitely doesn't. There's, there's definitely some scenes that, as you say, it's kind of a wink. And there's a couple of parts I'm not too chuffed with that I'll come back to later. But it's, it's impossible not to enjoy it. And I think Neil Marshall did say, effectively, it was written and created as to be effectively the type of film that you would come in from the pub with your mates and stick on. Yeah. And it does have that type of feel to it of, ah, let's stick on dog soldiers and yeah, let's have a, you know, it's a good laugh and some werewolves and stuff. But yeah, it, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And it's it benefits from that as well because you're you're kind of laughing along with it. And there are some great lines and yeah, there's some good action sequences as well. Yeah, I mean, the, there's there's loads of like nods to other movies and uh, you know you've like the whole sort of house under siege is a bit you know it's night the living dead only with werewolves oh. instead of zombies even even the parts where one of the soldiers runs out to get the old Land Rover going you know like oh. a, that that happens in night the living dead when the couple go to try and put fuel in the truck and all that with it being a werewolf film there's a sort of shades of the howling in there as well um you know like, the fact that we're we're spared a detailed kind of transformation sequence I imagine probably because it was a fairly low-budget film. And, you know, I think despite the fact that we obviously didn't have a lot of money to spend on it, every penny is spent wisely. It it doesn't feel cheap at all. You know, it just... The way he likes the werewolves and things, you never get a particular lingering close-up on any of the wolves' like faces or anything, really. It's all quite quick, or they're, they're like, silhouettes and things like that. You know, it's just... I mean, I'm always surprised with Neil Marshall. Like, always, the other films that he's done have all been uh, horror movies. I, th- I think, the, I could be wrong about this, I think the one he did after this was uh, Doomsday, which is set in Scotland again. It's got wee compo in it, so we can't, if we're going to do that, we, we, we can't do it for a while. I think uh, David O'Hara's mm-hmm. in it as well. And um, he's obviously, due to the success of this film, he's got a much bigger budget. But I, th- I, th- I think his most famous movie is maybe The Descent. Am I right? Yeah. Um, I would say so. He, he did do the Hellboy, the most recent one. Mm, yeah. But I, I would say The Descent probably is his most famous film. But yeah, speaking about the werewolves, I think it is very intentional that you don't really see them. Mm-hmm. And I did watch a making of Dog Soldiers on YouTube. It must have been a DVD extra, but it's on YouTube mm-hmm. available. And Neil Marshall's interviewed and he does say that he really didn't want to do CGI werewolves because they can look a bit crap. And I think American Werewolf in Paris had come out maybe a couple of years beforehand. Yeah. And the werewolves in that looked really shit. Yeah, it's not a good film. But he, he didn't have the, the... It came down to effectively time rather than budget, in terms of the American Werewolf in London transformation scenes. They take a lot of time Mm -hmm. to film, and they didn't have a lot of time to film this. So that's why you don't really see many, if any, transformations as such. Mm-hmm. Like when uh, when Ryan transforms, effectively he does it behind a table yeah. and you just hear his clothes ripping and then he's there. Uh, so yeah, you don't see that aspect purely because and I think it actually adds to the kind of mystique and the, the mystery of it and it makes it kind of better for it rather than actually seeing it because you take a hell of a chance. If you do it and it looks shit, yeah. then you're kind of screwed. Whereas American Wolf and London, for example, it still looks fantastic. Yeah. It, the transformation sequence, it, it's still terrifying. But if you don't have the time and budget to 
give it your all, then why not lead it up to the viewer to make their own mind up what's happening there just by doing the sound effects? Well, you're right. I mean, it's like, like you say, you, you, you could inadvertently blow the credibility of your movie with a shite uh, transformation sequence. But that transformation sequence in American Werewolf in London, I know it's the movie is over 40 years old, but it feels painful. You know, when, mm. when you know, you, you, like bones cracking and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I think the, the wolf in that movie is a more traditional sort of down on all fours like big dog whereas the the wolves and the do, uh, dog soldiers are they're almost a bit kind of human like you know they they, they walk on two mm. feet on two legs rather and you know they just I think um, I read that the, the uh, marshal rather than use stuntmen he used the uh, dancers to play the wolves so because he felt that their movements are more graceful and things and he you know he, he made the set intentionally a bit smaller so they would have to duck to come in to sort of make them look like these big, imposing, and intimidating creatures. And do you know where you got that from? No. Uh, James Cameron uh, in Aliens. Right. He cast dancers. They played the xenomorphs rather than stuntmen because he thought their movements were more graceful yeah. and they would be able to do that. And, and it works very much in Aliens. And it works in this, kind of. Yeah. You kind of have the, the wolves. I don't know. I, I wasn't hugely impressed right. by them. Some, yeah, sometimes, but sometimes it does look a little bit comical. Well, I mean, but sometimes it does look good. They are a wee bit sort of xenomorphy in style. Now you mention it. I mm. mean, the, the bit that the sort of scene that sprung to mind when you said that there was the scene in the barn when he goes and gets mm. in the Land Rover and he sees, yeah. uh, I think it's uh, Terry, the first soldier who gets killed in the seat and gets killed in the house the way the wolf has got his like, his, his hand on Teddy's on Teddy's face as he's as he's devouring him uh, that's, there are sort of shades of uh, some of the scenes in both Alien and Aliens actually well funny you say that I would have said it's the bit after once he reverses the Land Rover yeah, to the house yeah. and he stops and then you just see the breath yeah. and he's like you're behind me aren't you yeah. that was very yeah, 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 you're right. alien-esque yeah. to me and you expect the the inside jaw to just come <laughs> yeah, out yeah. <laughs> go right through him but yeah. Uh, yeah very well done and very cleverly done I think the way they handle the werewolves mm, yeah. and so to speak about the squad in terms of the, the actual soldiers that we have okay well in fact first of all we have the opening scene of the campers and they're camping in scotland and wonderfully the the guy gets a a solid silver letter opener because that's just a perfect present to get when you're out camping and stuff so yeah just just on that point so i didn't catch they obviously there's there's a conversation between that couple at the beginning of the film you know where it's sort of explained in the course of the conversation that they are getting away from it all Mm. suggestion that this guy maybe works a bit hard and he needs he needs a break and things I couldn't really understand what he did for a living though and why she gave him the letter opener as a gift I didn't I'm not really sure I, I don't think it was explained really yeah. I think it was just a case of just setting up I mean it's a two minute scene it's yeah. a couple that are away in Scotland having a little holiday camping what I like about that scene though is when the first you know werewolf and you don't know what it is at that point mm-hmm. kind of attacks them and it, it's the the tent unzipping yeah and 
you would think an animal would just rip the tent to shreds, but it's it's the calculatedness of it, of just the, the zip slowly going up. And to come back earlier, you're almost thinking it's maybe like Jason Voorhees, you <laughs> know, in terms of just slowly ripping up. You've got to think this is a human or it's a pervert come to, it's a trained <laughs> come to have a look at what's going on. But it, it's not, and you don't see what it is. But yeah, I, I think it's a very good opener in terms of the setting the scene. You know what's coming. Yeah. There's something out there. There's a um, bit ham-fisted with the, well, the letter opener. The, there's a nice little bit of misdirection because just before they're attacked, they're having a kiss and a cuddle and they're getting amorous. And, you know, it, when you hear the zip, because you see where his hand is and you hear mm. the zip and you think it is him, like, unzipping her jeans. And then, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that's obviously intentional. So, because after he's unzipped the short zip in her jeans... This zipping sound continues. You know, it was it's quite cool actually. So obviously, and this is one of the the things I don't like about the film in a way. I, I say I don't like. I don't think there's a need for it. You have the the couple, and then it jumps two hours earlier mm-hmm. to Kevin McKidd obviously doing his special forces kind of audition or exercise. Yeah, and then when it goes to the squad. You see, it's four weeks later. What What's the need for the two hours earlier jump? Why don't you have that running in parallel with the campers? Is two hours a big difference? Well, I know it seems like, because you could be forgiven for thinking that where Kevin McKidd is doing his assessment is nearby, mm. because it's in the countryside, mm. it's in a forest and whatnot. I don't know, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe uh, Neil Marshall was trying something that he that he just decided to abandon. Because to your point, it doesn't really add anything to the story. You know, like, do we need to know that only two hours later in some other part of the country, Kevin, uh, what's his name, uh, Cooper, was um, doing an assessment for special ops? You know, mm. do we need to know that it's four weeks later? I mean, I suppose you could, the, I guess the only, but, the, only, the only bit that sort of sits in there okay is the four weeks later. So after this has happened, yeah. a month later, here's these guys now arriving to do this training exercise, you know? Oh, I, I completely agree with that. I can see the, the four weeks later. Yeah. But like I say, is there a need for the, the two hours earlier? Almost seems a bit confusing. You're kind of jumping all over the place. All right, so that was two hours earlier. This is four weeks later. Is it four weeks later from the two hours earlier or from the original bit? I don't know. I need to know the exact time. It just seems a little bit jump about a little bit. But I, I agree. The four weeks later is does make sense and is needed. Mm-hmm. And so to speak about the squad that you have in terms of the, the soldiers. So Kevin McKidd, who... We've had on the Swally a couple of times before. We we've had him in Train Spotting and we've had him in Small Faces. Um, I think that was it. Is it or has he been in anything else that we've covered? That's all. That's all. It's those two. Yeah, I mean, he's a great. He's you know Kevin McKidd now is you know he's a he's a huge star of uh, American television. He's been doing mm. uh, Grey's Anatomy for a really long time. I think uh, you don't really see him in a lot of movies these days. I mean, I, th- I think probably what he might be most famous for, apart from Train Spotting and Grey's Anatomy, is doing the voice of. Um, Soap in the Call of Duty games, doesn't he? Okay. Mm, are you not a, do you play Call of Duty? No. no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of first person shooters. I think I played one. Was it Modern Warfare 2? That was the one that had the airport level. Yeah, he's in that. So that you could shoot up. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I probably realised it at the time, but have forgotten about they're, it now. They're all the same, anyway, yeah. first person shooters. Like, they're literally yeah, all the same. Exactly. Not a fan of them at all. His character, Cooper, is. I think a very good character because he is very grounded Mm. and he is almost your 
like kind of the audience's way into the film, if that makes sense, because the rest of the squad are kind of, I don't want to say over the top, but they're a little bit extra mm. in terms of, of the way they are. And don't get me wrong, I think the the dialogue and the banter between the guys feels completely natural and is very funny at points. And I think it's it's very well executed. But Cooper is almost the kind of grounded, sensible one that the audience can maybe feel kind of a, a kinship with. He's he's obviously more on like more logical yeah. in terms of the way he goes about things. And he's the one that kind of sets down the plans and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is, you know, he's almost our kind of eyes and ears into the film. Yeah, I mean, he plays these these types of parts very well, uh, Kevin McKids. I mean, I know that you won't have watched it because of your prejudice towards such things, but um, he's one of the leads in the HBO drama Rome about mm. the Roman Empire, and he plays he plays a soldier, a centurion, and it, you know, there's there's there, there are shades of um, Private Cooper in there. You know, the sort of dependable, hard, solid soldier. You know, that everybody looks to and whatnot. You know, I'm surprised that because. The dynamic of the soldiers, obviously the the sergeant and the leader of the of the squad is um, is played by Sean Pertwee, and then the rest of the soldiers are, apart from Bruce, are listed as as private, including uh, Cooper. He's a uh, private Cooper. Whereas mm. he, if he feels more, you know, his character feels more like a more senior rank of soldier, even at the very mm. beginning. You know, I guess if if uh, if Sean Pertwee is a sergeant, then uh, Bruce. Is the second in command as uh, corporal, and the others are privates. Mm. You know, it was a bit of a yeah, a, a bit strange. Um, but you know, they the actors all do a good job of um, of making you believe that they've been together in this squad for a long time. They've maybe seen a bit of a. Uh, a bit of action before. I mean, well, Sean Pertwee's character, Harry, does, he tells a story in the start of the film about serving in Kuwait and his friend who, who gets blown up stepping on an anti-tank mine and there's a uh, devil tattoo in his arse is the only <laughs> the only bit of his body that's unaffected by the explosion. But yeah, they, they you know, I think, I think they sort of, I mean, if I'm honest, I don't think that the other guys are quite as accomplished as Sean Pertwee and Kevin McKidd as, oh. as actors. You know, so, you know, like some of the banter and the the way they come back at the other guys. You know, just it feels a wee bit trite in some cases. But you know, they're not unlikable. I, I think for some of those actors, it was maybe their first or second film. So I think Kevin McKidd and. Sean Pertwee and, and obviously um, Liam Cunningham are probably the only kind of not seasoned actors, but they'd been in quite a few things yeah. up until this role. So I think the other guys do a very good job, but I agree maybe it's not as convincing as the kind of yeah. performance that it's supposed to give. So let's get on to, let's speak about Sean Pertwee. I did read that, I think I heard on, on something, maybe it was on the, the making of, um, Sean Pertwee heard about this film before it was kind of in the, the latter stages. And he was very interested in this. And he got in touch with Neil Marshall to ask about it. And Neil Marshall said, oh, that's quite strange because when I was writing the role of Sergeant Wells, it was you that I had in mind for this. But I never thought it would actually happen. So he sent him the script. Sean Pertwee absolutely loved the script and said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. If you'll have me, I'll do it. And Neil Marshall said, well, yeah, uh, we haven't got any funding yet. So we kind of need to to wait. So it could be a while. And Pertwee said, yeah, look, just whenever you get it, let me know. I'll make sure I'm available. I want to do this film. And that's basically what happened. 
they got the funding and they got in touch and Pertwee was like, yep, yep, when we're shooting. I mean, he makes this film kind of for me. He's just, Sean Pertwee is such a, a great actor. He fills such this great niche. I mean, it could be the same, I think, for both of us. We probably first came across him in ID. Yeah. First thing maybe, is. or maybe, uh, yeah, ID. I think I, I saw ID before I saw Shopping, um, for sure. But ID would have been the first time kind of Sean Pertwee came into my life. And he's just fantastic in that. And he's almost kind of a similar character in Dog Soldiers, in a way. Kind of funny. He always just comes across as Sean Pertwee. Uh, the only time maybe really is when he's playing Alfred. Yeah, in Gotham. Gotham. Yeah. And he's brilliant in that as well he's absolutely fantastic he's such a good actor and i think he just gives such a a different level to the roles that he's in and in this he's he's comedic he is you know there's times where you feel sorry for him there's times where you just you really believe in this character as well and i i think it's a a great performance from him in this film yeah he's brilliant um no i I mean i'm with you The, the first time i saw i saw him was in ID, but you know, not many people know this. But I'm quite a big fan of Doctor Who, and he's mm. famously his father played Doctor Who uh, in the late sixties and early seventies. John Pertwee, and I remember seeing ID and thinking, "Fucking hell, he looks just like John Pertwee, that guy." <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, and then obviously when the when the credits rolled at the end, Sean Pertwee, I was like, "Well, has to be his son." But I I, I can also say that. Uh, he is also a very, very nice man, Sean Pertwee. I'm reliably informed because years ago when I worked uh, for Frankie and Benny's, he was appearing at a show in the Edinburgh Festival. And apparently he came to have some lunch uh, in our Omni Centre restaurant at the top of Leith Walk. And apparently when he was sitting in one of the tables outside the restaurant and a lady fainted passing by and he leapt to her aid and waited when wow. phoned the ambulance um, for her from his phone, got her sorted out and everything. Um, so yeah, apparently a very nice man as well. But he has all the best lines in this movie. Mm. <laughs> you know, all, you know whether, they're, whether they're scripted for him or whether there's a little bit of improvisation uh, on some, I don't know. But, you know, his sort of, like, when, he, when he gets wounded in the first encounter with the werewolves and he's, his stomach is ripped open and his intestines are like leaking out and he was it he says to Cooper just leave me Cooper I'm binned or something like that <laughs> yeah and then Cooper's like well put them back in he's like they won't fit <laughs> it's the Cooper get out of it Jesus I'm binned mate there's no heroics you bloody hypocrite oh, where's Bruce he's all over there and he's fucking torn apart you piss off that is an order incoming back off you can take your orders and shove them up your ass oh Jesus my guns are out good well we'll just put them back in again they're not gonna fucking fit of course they'll fit man and that's it it feels natural yeah the kind of exchanges they have it it really does but then of course the the famous scene which is probably the best scene of the film for me is the the super gluing scene when they yeah. they decide to super glue his wound shut <laughs> sean pertwee did say to neil marshall well I'm supposed to be drunk for this scene should i have a few beers beforehand and he was well yeah if you want so yeah sean pertwee was pissed <laughs> when he was performing that scene and you can tell because it's fucking great drunk acting yeah. in terms of the way he's hugging cooper and he's oh, i love you i love you and so when kevin mckid has to when he's like knock me out knock me out 
and Ken McKid punches him twice. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's the first one or the second one, but one of those punches was actually a real punch. <laughs> As in, Sean Pertwee didn't move out the way in time. Right. And Kevin McKid actually clocked him. <laughs> I think it must be the second one because you do see Kevin McKid going to check he's okay. <laughs> but they kept it in. But he did actually, yeah, properly clocked him. Uh, full on in the face as you say he's got the best lines uh, as you would expect kind of chompertwee but his delivery of them in, in some moments is fantastic some of the speeches he gives and werewolves spend most of their time in human form right and the only people for miles around live right here so these things aren't about to give up the fight and go home they are home yeah well that makes perfect sense doesn't it I mean, think about it, we bust into their house, we eat all their porridge, we sleep in their fucking beds. No wonder they're pissed off. It's it's the little one-liners as well. Things like when he gives, um, I can't remember which soldier it is, is it Spoon? He gives his watch yeah, to you at yeah, the start. Yeah. And he spoke, well, what will you do? Well, I'll count. I, I like, it made me laugh in that, in the scene when they're, when they're trying to deal with his wounds, when he's drunk. And he's, what is it he says? Is it, uh, is it my birthday? And then he sort of cheers. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure you should be chasing painkillers with whiskey. You're always armed it. Uh, is it your birthday coat? <laughs> no, mate. Is it my birthday? Hey! <laughs> no. Are you going to thank us for this in the morning? I'll tell you something, mate. I'm going to fucking thank you. Right now, I'm going to thank you because you saved my life. You got me out of there, mate. Well, you would have done the same thing. I, if I'd done the same fucking thing, I would have saved Bruce, wouldn't I? Yeah. Really, really, really good. Yeah. And they, it's funny with Sean Perby, his, his career has been about, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a successful career, there's no doubt about it. But I think about his his contemporaries, people like Jude Law, Sadie Frost, I guess. I suppose Kevin McKidd. I think Kevin McKidd's a wee bit younger than Sean Pertwee's. But, but there was a sort of group that were coming out of London around about that time. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller uh, and all that. And, you know, they, some of these guys have gone on to massive careers and others have come, have gone on to just, you know, successful careers, but sort of the kind of jobbing actors just occasionally, they, yeah, you don't see them in, in something for ages. I remember when Gotham started, I don't think I'd seen Sean Pertwee in anything for fucking mm. years. And then yeah. obviously he plays, he plays Alfred and you're like, oh, fucking Sean Pertwee's in this, brilliant. Gotham, you know, the whole, and the whole sort of, uh, the whole sort of suggestion of Gotham, of him raising the orphans, Bruce Wayne and all that, you know, it, it, Gotham is like a comic book, like on screen, unapologetically. And sometimes, th- Depending on the actors, sometimes sometimes Gotham works, and sometimes mm. it just doesn't, and it's just ridiculous, and it's over the top. And but like, I have to say, his performance, every scene that he's in with a with a young actor that plays uh, Bruce Wayne, you know, like you you believe it becomes like a surrogate father, and yeah. like you know, his like especially the emotional scenes. And, and to be honest, I think he gets a better performance out of that kid that plays Bruce Wayne as well, because he was yeah. he was only a young actor when that started. I think he was only about twelve or thirteen or something. He's obviously grown up over the five or six seasons or so they've done. But yeah, he's just. I mean, I've always I've always wondered. I mean, I'm looking through his IMDb at the minute. So the the ones that kind of jump out in terms of movies that were successful, like the 
big early one is Event Horizon, which was quite yeah. a successful, although fucking weird, science fiction movie in 1997. He's in the 51st State. He's pretty good in that with Robert Carlyle. Love, Honor and Obey, that I think every actor that I mentioned earlier is in that film. Uh, e- Equilibrium, that you mentioned earlier, that came out the same year as Dog Soldiers. Goal, um, Goal 2. He's a, he, he comes back for Doomsday with Neil Marshall in 2008. But otherwise, it's all stuff... Uh, Alan Partridge, the Alfred, well, Alan Partridge movie, Alpha Papa. Do you think, I, I don't know if he would do it, but and, and I don't really watch it, but he'd make a fantastic doctor, wouldn't he? Yeah, and his name has been, his name has come up a few times, like, since they brought Doctor Who back in 2005, every time, you know, and every time they change lead actor his his name always comes up mm. I, I think i read somewhere him saying that he if he was offered it he probably wouldn't do it because of yeah. be, you know there's obviously be, there's always a lot of pressure when whoever uh plays that character but especially when your dad has played the character to you know one of the most loved incarnations of doctor who by fat by sort of geeky fans is John Pertwee's portrayal of him. It'd be, it'd be difficult for him to do it, I think. Yeah, he's always going to com- be compared to his dad, I think. And that's, as you say, what makes it very difficult. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see him, I don't know, get like a run and like detective yeah. in like a cop show. I don't mean anything like shit. I mean something decent. Because he's, he's a really good actor and he's got so much charisma about him as well. Yeah. You know, and he's got so much, he's funny, but he can be serious. And as you say, some of those scenes in Gotham, it's, you really believe a whole range of emotions Mm -hmm. that he delivers in that show. Yeah. I'd love to see him, uh, get something really good and, and do really well. But yeah, he's he's fantastic in this film. He absolutely steals the show mm-hmm. for me with some of his lines. And I, I guess he kind of is the hero in the end as well. It's coming forward, but he does kind of save the day. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. I suppose the other person that, I don't know if it's, the, the other actor is uh, sort of third lead really is Liam Cunningham. Mm. He's most recently been in Game of Thrones. I think he was in every season apart from the first season. You know, he's he's in the, all the way up to the end. I never realised that he was Irish because his, 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 yeah. his, character, his character in Game of Thrones, he has a, a sort of Geordie accent. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't actually realise it was him at first um, until until the credits at the end. He, he's he, he's another he's another one who's like a phenomenally good actor. You know, like mm. if you got like a strong like a strong accent, like like the Irish accent is obviously a particularly strong accent. Being able to disguise it, I wouldn't have put Ryan as Irish at all. We said you know very convincing sort of southern accent. He sounds like a young Charles Dance in this <laughs> yeah, film. Does. Yeah, I would have said, and I genuinely did almost thought like, is that a young? Is that Charles Dance's son? <laughs> It just sounds exactly like him. But yeah, uh, very good performance. You believe he is an evil bastard. I mean, obviously his kind of introduction when he's asking Cooper to shoot the dog Mm. and then shoots the dog. When I'm making my notes, because you hadn't found out his name at that point, I don't believe. So I'd instantly written him down as the cunt. (laughs) And even through the notes, I was like, oh, cunt is found in you know base and is shredded and then when cooper's like oh his name's ryan i was like okay he's got a name then 
So then I started putting Ryan down in my notes. But instantly you you hate him because, well, and what is it with this podcast that recently we've been doing films where dogs seem to get injured or hurt or we think they're going to get injured or hurt? We need to stop this as well. I did make a a note that just says dog peril. Because obviously we have, they have the the dog at the beginning being killed. And then Sam, the border collie, Mm. there's a few, there's a lot of moments in the movie when you think, oh no, don't let something happen to Sam. Nah, makes it out fine. Sam's the hero in the end, I would say. So yeah, he instantly comes across as a very villainous character and he plays it very well. And you do, you know, you want to hate him. And that's the, so he's doing his part very well in that instance that you, you want to hate this character. And as the film unfolds, obviously you, you begin to, kind of hate him even more and more as the story unfolds that they've kind of effectively led them there to try and capture one of these werewolves for experiments to create some sort of super soldiers which again very similar to aliens yeah like uh what's the character's name in aliens that uh uh it's paul glazer's um character can't remember the character's name now that's gonna annoy me interestingly just uh, obviously we're talking about doctor who before with sean pertwee uh liam cunningham was almost got the role of doctor who for the canadian tv movie that paul mcgann plays doctor who in um oh. he was apparently he was he was the producer's first choice but he wasn't able to do it and uh, it went to paul mcgann instead so there you go. But he, he he did get to appear in a 2013 episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, and the, the rest of the actors there, you know, I don't really know much about them. I think they're just sort of kind of sort of jobbing British TV mm. actors. Um, Darren Morfitt plays Spoon. Uh, Chris Robson, who plays um, Joe Kirkley. Leslie Simpson, who plays Terry. And then um, Thomas Walker, who plays uh, Bruce Campbell. Not not our favourite Bruce Campbell, but character Bruce Campbell. Uh, and they, in his... Now, I made a note to bring this up. The way that Bruce goes out, right? So Bruce is holding the rear. He runs in a bit of a panic and impales himself on a tree branch. Did that happen? You ever ran in anything so hard? I do have in my notes, how much force would it take for you to impale yourself on a tree? Surely. I did read something, apparently it it is possible, but I'd imagine you'd have to be running at Usain Bolt levels, and the, the tree stump would have to be probably the most pointiest, sharpest stump for you to impale yourself because he goes in a fair way it's not like it's just a little bit <laughs> he goes right through it's a shish kebab it's in and out isn't in it? terms yeah. of you know, yeah that for me was a little bit yeah okay but by that point you're kind of on the the track with this film and you're thinking yeah okay anything's possible but quite a lot of impalement there i, I don't know if that could actually happen but it's quite a gruesome death. And then, of course, the, the you see the wolf just basically peeling him off. Yeah, yeah. And taking him away. Uh, yeah, when the when the cow falls down on, on their campfire, I think the tone was well and truly set. <laughs> uh, and then the other, the only lady in the movie um, is Megan, played by Emma Cleesby. Uh, again, not somebody, not exactly a household name. She's good. I, I, I like to line when she shouts at Spoon, when he's when he's running back into the house and she shouts, move your arse, soldier. And he says, I love it when posh birds swear. 
I know exactly what I know exactly what he means. I did. Megan did bring up a question to me. So, mm. and again, this is going to, for anyone who's not seen the movie, this is going to spoil it for you. But we we learn that at first we're you know we think Megan we're led to believe Megan has ran into the soldiers. She's helping them. She's there studying uh, zoology and she knows about the werewolves and things. And then we find out in the la- in the last act that. The family whose house the soldiers are sort of under siege in are actually the werewolves, and she is a member of the family. Why didn't she change into a wolf when the rest of the family did? Why? Why? Why does her transformation happen so late in the movie? Is she a member of the family though? Like I know she took the photo. Oh, that th- they read. I thought she was. Is she actually a member of the family? I'm not sure. Um. I thought she was a member of the family. I mean, she obviously knows the house very well, yeah. and she's been there, but I thought maybe she was uh, a zoologist that had been taken there by Ryan, effectively, to kind of study, and then had been turned into a werewolf. Possibly. But she wasn't actually part of the family. That was the only thought process I had. Yeah. And then, because she only turns later, because obviously she's trying to put them off in terms of when they're eating the soup, because that's not part in the soup, obviously, human flesh. Flesh, right, you would yeah. think that they're they're eating, so she's putting them off eating there. But yeah, it's a bit odd in terms of the the table's been set, the soup's on the boil, the family have obviously been about to have something to eat. Full moon's up. Ah, oh, fuck, we're turning into werewolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why hasn't Megan turned? Yeah. She almost seems to be able to turn at will, unless it was something. No, I don't know. Because she, but it's odd because it's a bit unanswered because she impales kind of her hand on the window frame. Yeah, but that always, I don't know. You don't see if that heals properly. That would be a surely if she did that, it would heal instantly. If she's a proper werewolf, she reveals herself to be to be a werewolf, right? Uh, before before they shoot her, and she also mm. reveals that she's unlocked the back door of the house to let the the rest of the wolves in to get after the, the the remaining soldiers. So, I don't know, it's a bit strange. Like her her motivations are a bit weird all the way through because there's a scene there's a there's a line where quite early on after they're in the house where she says, "I know how to kill them." But the rest of the, yeah. the rest of the soldiers they are Kevin McKids uh, or Cooper rather kind of cuts her off, and then she's all, she's fucked off about what ha- about her car getting damaged by the the wolves essentially like rip the engine out, and that was another point. Nobody hears. <laughs> no one hears like an engine yeah. being ripped out of a fucking Land Rover right outside the door. Um, that bothered me as well. Yeah, yeah, the noise. So, you know, that you're under, and then, like I mentioned before, you know, when Spoon's running back from the barn, she's like, come on, move your arse. So, you know, it seems like her motivation is to survive the night, help the group in any way she can, uh, until the sun comes up. And then it's, I don't know, it just seems a bit weird that then actually, no, she's brought them there on purpose. She's lured them there. She didn't run into them by accident. And in fact, she's opened the back door to let all the wolves in and she's about to transform into Wibble herself. Don't know. Bit of a, Bit of dodgy scripting, I think, there, maybe. Yeah, it's quite unclear. As you say, it kind of picks up on something and then drops it. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of when Cooper is like, you took that photo. Yeah. Yeah, you would kind of be led to believe she is part of the family, but I don't think she is. Yeah. because I think she's she's an outsider. She's got another line where she says um, that they can't help it. She says they, they, can't, they can't help it. They're good people, you know. Um, they don't have any control or something like that. Yeah. A bit, a bit, of, a, a bit of a strange uh, bit of uh, scripting. 
She does, however, play my favourite piece of classical music on the little winter in the piano, uh, Claire de Lune oh. by Debussy. I do like that bit of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, it's been a long time since it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I think it's the same music that they play at the very end of Ocean's Eleven. Um, oh, okay, when they eleven meet by the fountain after the heist. Now there is a, a little theme running through this film about football, <laughs> and it's about an England Germany game, yeah. and it it does all line up. Because when this probably was released and when this could have been filmed, funnily enough, England did play Germany and England beat Germany 5-1, which is what is in the newspaper headlines we see at the end. I had the misfortune to be in England for that game. (laughs) That was something I don't ever want to repeat. The thing that bothers me is, okay, this, this runs throughout the film. And to run ahead to the end, when Cooper kills Ryan... And he says, they think it's all over. Uh, It is now, before he shoots him. Okay, one, no self-respecting Scotsman is ever going to utter that line in terms of saying that. Two, you've already written a better line in the second scene of the fucking film. Ryan's trying to get Cooper to kill a dog and he won't do it. And he says, you know, I can do it, but I won't do it. So when he's got the gun pointed at him and he's staring down the barrel why doesn't he say i told you i could kill a dog yeah bang yeah like that that makes so much more sense than they think it's all over it is now in a scottish accent no that does not work no get to fuck that that's my least favorite part of this entire film i did like the line just not long before that when he asks uh he asked Ryan if he's tried licking his bollocks yet. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Now that's yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't because you don't have any. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good line. But yeah, I get that. Yeah, quote to fuck. I I, I did not like that at all. I don't think that was a very good bit. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It wasn't great. I liked the little uh, chat. I think it's between Terry and Spoon when Spoon says, "Oh, this is like Rourke's Drift, like you know, like the the famous uh, sort of battle that the British Army had that they made mm. that they made Zulu from with Michael Caine, which yeah. Zulu's Zulu is." Is in Greg's uh, probably top twenty favorite films. Shamelessly, oh really? Shamelessly, I love it. If, if Zulu's on, I'm going to sit and watch it. And, it, and if um, so, it used to always be on about Christmas time. And it, and yeah, it made me want. Well, I haven't seen it for years, but it made me want to watch it. <laughs> They're talking about it, but yeah. But the thing that I particularly liked about it is that Marshall sort of faintly plays the music from Zulu. Well, not oh. it's not it's not the music from it's not the soundtrack in the film, but there's a song that the soldiers in Zulu sing um, I, th- I think it's a kind of Welsh uh, maybe the Welsh National Anthem or something like that I can't remember but um, I did like it what I was going to say to you though for a particularly for a, for, a, for a fairly low budget British horror film do you not think that the soundtrack is pretty it's epic like the music the, the music is more I've, I've written in my notes the music feels like a, a western almost you know like a sort of classical western you know if you think if you only had like a, a couple of million quid or whatever it was to spend on the film like the music is quite sort of grandiose and epic I thought yeah I guess so yeah there's quite a lot of good scenes with good music yeah yeah yeah, but I don't know. I hadn't really noticed anything in particular, to be honest. Just like when the helicopter is dropping the soldiers off and then, you know, there's some sweeping shots of them making their way through the, the forest and the across the countryside. Um, you know, and the thing is, almost like Zulu, the movie, has a, it's like a John Barry soundtrack and it's full orchestra 
um, really unique kind of kind of music, and I, I, would, I did wonder if uh, if maybe Zulu was a favourite of Neil Marshall, and he wanted to make it more than he obviously he sort of nods his head at it and that little scene that I described before. But the soundtrack as well, it doesn't sound like the Zulu soundtrack, but it's that same style of uh, of music that you would get in like a sort of like an old Sergio Leone western or a David Lean movie or Doctor Zhivago or. Lawrence of Arabia, that sort of thing, you know, it's just what I thought. <laughs> see, I'm not, I can see I'm not selling it to you. <laughs> no, but I appreciate your uh, your input into that and that you've noticed that. It's, uh, uh, very good. Uh, so, do you know, in terms of uh, other castings, do you know that uh, Simon Pegg was actually offered a role in this film? As, as one of the soldiers? Yeah, a spoon. All oh, right. And he turned it down because he had promised Edgar Wright that Shaun of the Dead would be the first horror film he starred in. Okay. And Edgar had written Shaun of the Dead prior to this, so it was kind of in the process of being kind of greenlit. Okay. So Simon Pegg, unfortunately, turned this down. I think he would have been a good fit, mm-hmm. but I think, yeah, he made the right choice in terms of waiting for Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I think so. I don't... Yeah. And Cooper, the, uh, the first choice, was Jason Statham. I mean, I can t- I can see I can see the Strath doing uh, doing that role. Yeah. Well, he he just come off the back of Lock Stock, and I think it was kind of he was earmarked for someone that could go on to do bigger things, and he was offered the role, but he was offered the John Carpenter film. I think it's Ghosts of Mars. Right. I think. Okay. Is he in that? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was uh, unfortunately unable to do it. But you've got to think, if Jason Statham is playing Cooper and you've got Sean Pertwee as Sergeant Wells, that's a very different film, mm-hmm. that dynamic. Because Kevin McKidd is so much more... Is it because he's Scottish? But is it because he's more grounded and kind of natural? That's a bit right. Statham. That's a bit right. You've got to think. Kevin McKidd's a better. Yeah. He's, he's a better actor than Jason Statham. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I love the Statham. Yeah. I think Statham is fant- phenomenal. But yeah, I think Kevin McKidd for this role is so much more suited mm-hmm. in terms of the what what it needs from the role. Yeah. Rather than than Statham. Statham, it might be a bit too over the top, and it comes into maybe like a ball swinging contest between him and. Part we in terms of the the dynamic of who gets the you know kind of quippier lines. Although Statham was just starting out at that point. I mean, the thing with Statham is I can't really you know like the scene between uh, Cooper and Wells when the, when Wells has obviously realised that he he's going to turn into a werewolf as well. Mm-hmm. His wound is healed up and things, and and Cooper's like, no, 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 that you know, do it together, blah blah blah. I couldn't really see. I don't think. Like, I mean, I'm with you. I like I like Jason Stratham a lot. I can't really see him doing a scene that involves a bit of a, a bit of a kind of tender approach. You know, like I, yeah. I I watched when I was flying back from the UK a couple of weeks ago. I watched on the plane uh, Wrath of Man, the Guy Ritchie movie that he's in. Uh, I won't ruin the movie, but he, it's, I mean, everybody knows that the movie is about a father avenging uh, the killing of his son by an armed robber and um, you see some scenes with him and his son and they and they're supposed to be as father and son the son's like a student say 21 22 you just don't believe that Stratham is this guy's dad but you're like but you don't really care because you're watching the Jason Stratham movie so you're like right get all this shit out the way and let's get back to the <laughs> to the karate and the shooting and the all that sort of stuff you know any any other um any other potential or almost 
uh, people starring in it that didn't star in it? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's that's all I have. Yeah. Uh, did you come across anything, or that was the only the ones that I'd that kind of noticed or no, no, I, d- I didn't see any other ones. Um, if you were if you could sort of wave a, ma- a magic wand and and recast, you know, you, you might find a couple more sort of accomplished actors to play the other soldiers in the platoon. I think probably the best of the four is. Spoon, you know, he's yeah. he, he, so he survives the longest. Uh, his his sort of last stand in the kitchen against the werewolf is one of the best scenes in the film. I think it'd be one of the best action scenes in the film. I should say, you mm-hmm. know, um, when he's just he's he's he knows that he's fucked, but he's 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 not he's not going without having he's not going out without a fight. I did cringe a little bit when he shouted, "Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough." Um, yeah, yeah, so kind of took me out of it a bit, but uh, but yeah, what else we got written down? So I was reading that there have been a number of attempts to get a sequel to Dog Soldiers mm. off the ground. Um, at the time of recording. Um, it had, it, nothing has uh, nothing has transpired. Uh, the producer David E. Allen tried to get a sequel called Dog Soldiers Fresh Meat off the ground. Uh, never never came to anything. In two thousand and five, uh, they tried to do another sequel, but it didn't it didn't happen. Um, there was going to be a a web series called Dog Soldiers Legacy. Which was announced in 2011. Um, same producer, they even filmed a teaser trailer, which uh, you could probably find online if you look hard enough. Never ever happens. The a poster was made for Dog Soldiers Fresh Meat as recently as 2014, um, promising a 23rd of March release. As yet, it hasn't happened. Uh, Neil Marshall has said that he did have a, a thought um, that the scene where Megan cuts her hand on the glass. Um, he thought it, you know that could be a setup for a second movie, maybe about mm. about werewolf DNA. They could maybe stretch it out into a trilogy. But he has said that probably the kind of planned sequels won't amount to anything. Anything now. But where do you think the? I think it would be quite interesting to see what happens to Cooper in the aftermath. Mm. I didn't really like the the sort of newspaper thing werewolf. You know, where this guy werewolves ate my platoon. I thought it wasn't really in the theme of the movie. It was just a bit sort of wacky. You know, and I know we said before that it does feel like everyone's having a good time making the film and there is a bit of a wink to the audience, but I thought that just took it a bit too far, you know? Yeah, it's, it takes you out of the, the seriousness because although it is a, a film that does kind of poke fun at itself and it does have a lot of funny moments, yeah, that's it's a bit too much to have... A ridiculous kind of headline you would see in the Daily Mash or mm. the well the Sunday Sport, you know, yeah. werewolves ate my platoon. Yeah, wasn't a huge fan of that, and especially because it was um, under the England Five Germany One yeah. headline. Yeah, I'm sorry, th- there's no way if if a werewolf has been eating soldiers <laughs> and this amount of carnage has gone on, there's no way that's not going to be headline news unless you think it's a hoax like the the Beast of Bodmin Moor, which actually they reference in the film do, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, d- I didn't like that. I, I, I see what they were trying to do. I think you could have ended it a better way in terms of, you know, if, uh, Cooper's made it, Sam's made it. That's all you need. Just fade to black, end credits. Well, that's the best way to do it. The thing is, what you know, I mean, I was thinking about what I would want to see in a sequel and how it could come off the first one. So, you know, we're led to believe that the only way to kill a werewolf is by silver, like silver bullet, silver 
the Wades, mm. whatever. Now, this, they, I think Cooper sort of rolls over it saying, well, we'll just burn the bastards. Mm. So, but taking the conceit that, that they, they can't be killed that way, you know, you could maybe have in the sequel that actually the, all the explosion has done is kind of bury them. And then maybe you would see like the the family returns to their human forms, sort of pulling themselves out of the debris of their house or something like that. Um, in the sequel, and maybe you could spin up, you could spin that into some kind of story. You know, maybe like a a, a more equipped platoon coming back, a la aliens to you know to try and sort it out or weaponize them or something but it, everything that's everything that kind of came to mind all sounded a bit contrived you know i like the idea that cooper ends up in an asylum mm. after what he's done and in the asylum is the male camper oh, from yeah. the opening scene because yeah. we never saw him die he didn't and he's been maybe just scratched just yeah, tinyly yeah yeah and it's it's taken him a while to transform and he's in the asylum as well and then one night like a month later when it's a full moon he transforms I like, and yeah. rips up the asylum that's a good idea I like that yeah that's a great yeah, yeah it's little, much better than my idea yeah. <laughs> really good yeah. Yeah. thanks <laughs> um, so any more on Dog Soldiers should we put the movie through our awards yeah why not let's put it through our awards I think we've we've kind of covered um, all we can so let's see what it does in the Swally Awards Okay, I struggled a bit with their Swally Awards, if I'm honest. For, no, no, not, oh, really? not with all of them, but with some of them. Well, nudity we can knock out, surely. I just There's not any nudity, unless you're counting the werewolves. Well, I, I just gave it to the wolves, just so I could give it to somebody. Well, I've spoiled that, sorry. No, that's fine. No, that's fine. I gave it to the wolves. <laughs> James Cosmo Award. I mean, I suppose McKid wins it by default. He's the only Scottish actor in the movie. I gave it to him by default as yeah. well, because if you look at his career... Okay, he's in. He is in quite a few Scottish things, but he's not in everything Scottish. No, he's not. So, but he's he's the only pick, really, in terms of the rest of the cast. He's the only person I could I could give that award to. Yeah, agreed. Um, what did you have for the uh, Jake McQuillan your Tzoot award? I had two actually, but I think I'm going to give it to Sean Pertwee punching Ryan before Ryan transforms. I had that, or I had Terry saying, dogs more like pussies, and then the werewolf drags him out the window. Yeah, good line and good moment. I, I had Cooper punching Sean Pertwee, although I know it wasn't. It was a medicinal punch, <laughs> if you like. Oh, um, okay. I al- yeah, still counts. I also had Wells punching Ryan across the table. and But I also had um, the scene that I mentioned before, like sort of Spoon's last stand, when he's like, he's physically boxing. <laughs> I just like, it was something funny about that. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like laying into the, you know, he's kind of going, he's kind of working the body, <laughs> if you like, of the werewolf. It, it kind of reminded me, have you ever seen YouTube videos of like an Australian guy boxing a kangaroo? Yeah, I think I have, it, yeah. yeah. It was kind of, so. I wonder if they took kind of inspiration from that in terms of the, the way that scene is, because it does look quite similar that he's kind of boxing a an upright kind of beast. Yeah. And, uh, let's be fair, that's a little bit ridiculous. You yeah. need to box a werewolf, <laughs> but kind of works. But because it's sort of fast cuts, and you know, like we said earlier yeah. in the in the podcast, we, obviously Marshall doesn't want to show the wolves in close-up too much or for too long, you know, just like little flashes of them and things. But yeah, no, I just, I, I just thought, I just liked that 
that that scene. What did you have for the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing? It is when Sean Pertwee is getting his wounds glued up, and I'll put the clip in here rather yeah. than me say it. But it's when he says, uh, "Kim McKid says to him, how are you?" And he says, "Absolutely fucking top, fucking bollocks." Yeah. How you feeling, Sarge? Absolutely fucking top fucking bollocks. Give us a give give give. Yeah, uh, Sean Pertwee is very good at swearing. I, I couldn't really like, I couldn't really settle on one because the language is pretty bad all the way through. Um, but yeah. now you reminded me of that one. Yeah, I, I, I should have really picked that. Now, this is one that I didn't have anything for, but the archetypal Scottish moment. The Highland Coo. Was it a Highland Cow, was it? Yeah, it's oh. a Highland Cow. Well, no, but you, no, but that's the, the whole setup to that. When the cow drops on the, the campfire, yeah. about five minutes before that, you see them trekking through the woods and you see two Highland cows. Right. Oh, okay. Full on horns, yeah. big hairy beasts. <laughs> yeah, full on Highland coos. Oh. That's the, that's it. Yeah. Okay. So I can only presume it was one of them. Okay. Which is a shame because they look like beautiful hairy beasts. Yeah, my wife's favourites are Highland cows. Uh, we have some hmm. pictures of Highland cows around the house. Yeah. She's very fond of them. I'm not sure why. And then the Sean Connery Award. Who do you think won the movie? Who did you give it to? I gave it to Pertwee. Although although McKid survives and everything, I think he he's been he's he's good in this Kevin McKid. I don't think it's his best work. No, Pertwee is just great in it. You know, he, he takes it to another level as you were describing earlier. So I gave it to, I gave it to Big Sean. I wanted to give it to Sam the Collie. <laughs> he stole my heart. I loved Sam the Collie. He's fucking brilliant. <laughs> but unfortunately for Sam, yeah, it's Sean Pertwee. He absolutely steals this film. He's so good in it. Yeah. Otherwise, Sam the Collie. Sam the Collie's great as well. He gives so many good facial expressions and he knows to alert. And at the end, he kind of saves the day. He's the one that jumps on Ryan mm-hmm. that enables, distracts Cooper to find the silver letter opener yeah he does have to scrabble quite a lot he he does spot that letter opener under a lot of (laughs) debris and shite before he finds it and he realizes oh it's silver before he can do that so sean partway and sam the collie shared it for me i think we should pitch uh your asylum sequel to um neil marshall if (laughs) Mm. i think you know i think he i don't know i think it's good i think he may be be up for if 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 not him then the producer who's been trying to make a sequel since almost the day after this was released yeah but unfortunately the only way that's going to work is if it's set literally a month before the first film because you're going to have to have had that camper in fact it probably wouldn't even work because the the main body of the film is set four weeks after the camper has been done so there would have been another full moon by then unless it was a very low bearing kind of scratch or maybe he has been running around yeah um, for the month and then has come back but i i don't think you can do that sequel nearly 20 years later no i think it has to be like a uh like a halloween halloween 2 kind of vibe like it's the next day yeah and they're in the hospital that's that's the only way you can do it. The, the window of opportunity is probably closed for us. Yeah, I think so, have, unfortunately. If only you had this idea 20 years ago, Nick. Oh, damn it. <laughs> if only I'd watched this film More than once. Uh, with full attention <laughs> when I was working at Blockbuster <laughs> and I'd thought, you know what would be a good idea for a sequel? <laughs> we'll do this. Yeah. Damn it to hell. 
Okay, well, I think that concludes Dog Soldiers. Uh, so this was my choice, Greg, and it's your choice next. So what are we going to be looking at next time? on the Swally. Well, the reason I've chosen this film um, is because every time I plug in the wee USB that you made for me last year and you put the movies and stuff on, uh, all the Scottish content and TV shows, I always see it and I always think, oh, I might just watch that again. But then I always say to myself, no, 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 just wait, because we'll, we'll cover it in the Swally at some point. But like literally every time I'm tempted to watch it. So I thought, fuck it. It's my suggestion this time. So for the next episode of the Swally, I would like us to cover Peter Mullins 2012 13 movie uh, Ned's oh wow cropped up in my mind just the other day as well and I was like oh Ned's we need to do that yeah we need to do that soon uh, oh fantastic Thank you very much for listening everyone uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us you can you can follow us on Instagram at culture pod or you can follow us on Twitter at SwallyPod. And if you have seen anything in the news you'd like us to review, or if you have anything you would like us to cover, or if you know how they used to send pornographic photos into magazines back in the 80s, then please email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And please feel free to give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a little rating, a review, a subscribe. It all helps the podcast grow. Thank you very much. And Greg, how's the website doing? Website's doing okay. It's starting to see a bit of work, but if you want to check us out online uh, somewhere other than our social media accounts, you can find us at cultureswallyblog.com where you can find links to some of our favourite stories that we have covered in the last year uh, for the Swally and also links to all the episodes, including this one. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm about to get pished and go down and break into the nearest water park. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get pished and go and find that unattended sewage treatment plan and run up the phone bill. <laughs> Aye, go and phone your pals in the next neighbourhood. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Till next time, Greg. Until next time. <laughs>